Good morning, everybody. This is a lot quieter today. Uh, let's go ahead and start with uh, Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice, because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Uh, Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the people of God. We are thankful for the church. We're thankful for the blessing of gathering and worshiping you uh, each Lord's Day. We ask that you would bless our time, that your Holy Spirit would be here in a special way. You are just, you are righteous, you are holy. Uh, Please help us to consider these things this morning in in this lesson. Help our understanding. Help us to... Uh, put aside uh, the cares of the world and to think upon and meditate on uh, your goodness and love toward us. We thank thank you that you watch over us. You're here now. You, You know our thoughts. You know our frame. You know our weaknesses and our strengths. Please help us to think on these things rightly. Please help me to speak uh, rightly. And we ask that you would bless uh, this time. Because uh, we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. So uh, this is, I think, round three of um, looking at the perfections of God. And as we travel through Catechism question number seven, what is God? I know I started kind of in the middle with holiness. We're looking at justice today. Previous, uh, the first one was the gloriness of God, God's glory. And uh, the second, uh, the holiness of God, and then now uh, justice, justice of God. So I've uh, put in there uh, references from the confession and the catechism. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So that first quote there uh, from Chad Van Dixhorn, 
from his uh, exposition, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, should frame our thinking on these deep thoughts of God. God is God. He is above our understanding, and yet he has given us his word and true information regarding his nature and character. And uh, it's my hope that this morning we can look into the justice of God and, and learn something or be reminded of something along the way. In speaking of God's justice and mercy, of his power and his wisdom, indeed of all his attributes, we do not for a moment think that we are able to define God in any limiting sense. If these paragraphs were pages, or if all the world were print, we could never hope to catalog the perfections of our triune God. What we do want to do is to rejoice in God's character with as much depth as we are able, so that we may better reflect his image, give him much glory, and enjoy him forever. So in the pattern of the previous uh, lessons that I've given, we'll look at some scriptures to frame our thinking, then we'll go over definitions and then some catechism-style considerations on God's justice. So to get our minds thinking along terms of righteousness and justice, uh, I've, I've collected a few uh, scripture references from the prophets and the Psalms, and you'll see that most of them there have righteousness and justice together. They, they're very close, uh, similar thoughts, righteousness of God, justice of God, they go hand in hand. Isaiah 61.8, For I the Lord love justice, I hate robbery and wrong, I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. He loves righteousness and justice, Psalm 33, 5. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, Psalm 37. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints, they are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Uh, next, Psalm 97, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And last, Psalm 99, the king in his might loves justice. You have established equity, you have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. So we do hear a lot about justice these days, justice for this person, just or uphold justice for this particular cause. Uh, much of it is devoid of a consideration of what God deems just. So in looking at this today, I hope this uh, information and these considerations will be helpful to our thinking. So that first quote we got there, the saved get mercy and the unsaved get justice. In God's economy, ultimately nobody gets justice. 
forgiveness of sins through uh, Jesus Christ or punishment in hell. Uh, no one gets injustice. So it's a nice uh, one sentence uh, to, to frame our thinking through the rest of this uh, material I put together here. Uh, what is the justice of God? Uh, just simply, God is the standard of what is right. He is righteous. And he always acts in accordance with what is right. He is just. So this first quote from Robert Shaw, you've heard him before, Pastor Edwards, and I think I've quoted him before from his exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith. God is infinitely just. The justice of God is that perfection of his nature, according to which he is infinitely righteous in himself and just and equal in all his proceedings with regard to his creatures. He is a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And this this next quote, um, it's like a quote with a quote with a quote. We got uh, (laughs) Terry Johnson, who's very helpful on the identity and attributes of God. And there's uh, a book in the library that you could check out of his. And we got Wilhelmus Abrackle, Edwards, and I think another individual in here, of course, Terry Johnson. But uh, he says, the justice of God consists in giving each his worthy due, whether by punishment or reward. For Edwards, it is the disposition of the nature, the divine nature to render to everyone their own. That God is just means that we will all be treated fairly. We will all get that which we are due. We will all receive what we deserve. God loves righteousness and hates wickedness. He demonstrates righteousness and justice in his law by what he prohibits and what he permits, by what he punishes and what he rewards. He is just, righteous, and fair in ruling and governing all things. He is also a just judge. This next section is from Edward Lee, and he frames justice in a couple of ways that I think are helpful. Disposing or dispositive justice, which is God is a most free Lord and supreme monarch of all. He disposes all things in his actions according to the rule of equity, and imposes just laws upon his creatures, commanding and forbidding only that which is fit for them in right reason to do and forbear, or not do. And then distributive justice, which renders to everyone according to his work, without respect of persons. And this uh, distributive justice is twofold in nature, reward and punishment. For reward, this is when God bountifully rewards the obedience of the creature, God bestows this reward not only on the godly, but by heaping divers mercies on them in this life and by the fullness of glory and felicity in the life to come, but also on the wicked whose moral actions he rewards with temporary rewards in this world, as with the obedience of Jehu and uh, the repentance of Ahab. And then the second part is of punishment by which God appoints to the delinquent creature the punishment of eternal death for the least sin, uh, which death has begun in this life, and in diverse kinds of miseries and punishments, which for the most part are proportionable to their sins, but is perfected in the life to come when the full wrath of God is poured upon it. So going back to the, the simple, because we kind of go on a curve there of some, some very straightforward definitions and a little stuff that's a little bit more heady or complicated. But God is the standard of what is right. He is righteous, and he always acts in accordance with what is right. 
And again, Sproul, the saved get mercy, the unsaved get justice. Nobody gets injustice. So some definitions, some scripture references, and now a couple of questions that come up when we think about the justice of God. Can God be just and pass over sin? Is, is, is that something that he can do? And, you know, at the end of the day, we are talking about God. He can do anything, right? Well, that is uh, not true. Uh, God cannot do anything contrary or inconsistent with himself or inconsistent with his nature. His truth, he cannot lie. Uh, in Hebrews 6, uh, we're told that is impossible for God to lie. So there's something he can't do. Uh, James, uh, God cannot be tempted with evil. Something else that he, that he cannot do. He cannot be tempted with evil. God is holy. He cannot sin. God cannot simply pass over sin and be just. Uh, if you recall, several months ago, as I mentioned earlier, I went over uh, the topic of God's holiness. And when we consider God's holiness, we think of purity, uh, that God is unble unblemished, perfect, separate from sin, infinitely morally upright. All those wonderful adjectives, explanative words uh, to describe God's holiness. He's absolutely opposed to all unrighteousness, evil, and sin. Because God is holy, righteous, and just, he cannot abide with sin, and it must be dealt with. So this first quote we have here in this section is from uh, Reformed Systematic Theology by Joel Beakey and Paul Smalley. Uh, false teachers have long sought to discard God's justice while affirming his goodness. However, we cannot separate justice from goodness without destroying both. Irenaeus wisely said that justice without goodness is not just, and goodness without justice is not good. So the true God must be both good and just. As Augustine said, God's grace cannot be unjust, and his justice cannot be cruel. And again, from Terry Johnson in his book, Identity and Attributes of God, Reformed theologians have argued that vindicatory or punitive punishing justice is essential to God and must be exercised. Uh, indeed, removal of this aspect of justice would render God less than perfectly holy. Vindicatory or punishing justice, uh, says Ali, is so essential to God immutably and inexorably that he cannot remit the creature's sin nor free them from punishment unless his justice be satisfied. Uh, Richard Muller summarizes the view of punitive justice among the Reformed. Indeed, the case for an essential vindicatory justice in God is proven by the death of Jesus Christ. For God would not have subjected his beloved son to death had there not been an inward necessity that his righteousness be satisfied by the infliction of punishment. In Christ we learn that God does not set aside sin without punishment, for the punishment of sin falls on Christ as mediator. If there was any other way, uh, Jesus Christ would not have died on the cross for our sins. So we see, I feel, that uh, God cannot be just and pass over sin. It is something that he has to do. He has to deal with sin. And he does in this life. And uh, in the end, the last day, uh, reward of heaven. Uh, 
for those who have faith in Jesus Christ and the punishment of hell for eternity for those who have spurned the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, next, one more uh, from Jim Renahan on his exposition of the London Baptist Confession, and he's going over the section, hating all sin and who will know by, and will by no means clear the guilty. He's uh, commenting on that. Not only is he abundant in love, but he is also most just and terrible in his justice judgments, hating all sin and who will by no means clear the guilty. Because he is utterly holy and righteous, omniscient and omnipotent, he cannot wink at or overlook transgressions against his holy nature. The eternal God sends judgments upon his enemies, even as he shows mercy to his people. In many ways, much of the rest of the confession opens up these truths. The nature of sin, the divine provision of atonement and redemption, the forgiveness granted to repentant believers, the reality of eternal punishment. The final clause is, of course, not absolute, for God does indeed clear the guilty through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is simply contemplating the state of any sinner who would approach God apart from a mediator. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and as Stephen Sharnock stated, God being the highest, most absolute and infinite holiness does infinitely and therefore intensely hate unholiness, being infinitely righteous, does infinitely abhor unrighteousness, being infinitely true, does infinitely abhor falsity as it is the greatest and most deformed evil. So God does not wink at sin. The big man upstairs is not going to pass over the least of sins or give anyone a pass. And another question that comes up when we think or consider the justice of God is, is God harsh in punishing sin? Is eternal punishment in hell too much? Um, Hopefully we've seen uh, that God cannot simply pass over sin. And... um, but in this, for this question, does the punishment fit the crime, so to speak? Is punishment with the pains of hell forever overkill on God's part? Uh, Thomas Boston here on his exposition of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So God cannot simply pass over sin. Uh, sorry. Working on my reading skills. Now, sin being an infinite evil, the punishment of it must also be infinite. And because a creature is not able to bear a punishment infinite in degree by reason of its infinite and limited nature, therefore it must be infinite in its duration. And R.C., we are also warned that God is most just and terrible in his judgments. This does not say that he is most just but terrible in his judgments. We have the mindset today that if God judges and punishes sin, his character must be defective. The defect is in our reasoning. If we had judges in our criminal courts who never found anyone guilty or never punished sin, would we describe them as just or good? Of course not. God is the judge of all the earth. He does what is right, and his punishments are awesome. 
They are as terrible as they are most just. No punishment from God could be so terrible that it would reveal an injustice in him. In fact, the punishment that the most wicked people receive from God is always less than that which they ultimately deserve. And now lastly, we'll, uh, well, uh, first we'll do some catechism uh, work and then look at some practical considerations. So this next section is from Thomas Watson's uh, Body of Divinity. We'll let him uh, speak on God's justice. All God's attributes are in unity, and they are the same with his essence. Though he has several attributes whereby he is made known to us, yet he has but one essence. A cedar tree may have several branches, yet it is but one cedar. So there are several attributes of God whereby we conceive of him, but only one entire essence. Well then, concerning God's justice, just and righteous is he. His justice is great righteousness. God is said to dwell in justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. In, in God, power and justice meet. Power holds the scepter and justice holds the balance. So, uh, yes, this is still Watson. What is God's justice? Justice is to give everyone his due. God's justice is the rectitude of his nature, whereby he is carried to the doing of that which is righteous and equal. Shall not he render to every man according to his works? God is an impartial judge. He judges the cause. Men often judge the person, but not the cause, which is not justice, but malice. I will go down and see whether they have done according to the cry which has come up unto me. When the Lord is upon a punitive act, he weighs things in the balance. He does not punish rashly. Concerning God's justice, I shall lay down, that is, Thomas Watson, I shall lay down these six positions. Uh, so he's got six uh, numbered out items here, and I'll add a scripture reference or two or some additional comment to expand on it a bit. But number one, and very importantly, God cannot be but just. His holiness is the cause of his justice. Holiness will not allow him to do anything but what is righteous. He can no more be unjust than he can be unholy. Uh, in Jeremiah 13, we read, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. So the Ethiopian cannot be anything but an Ethiopian. A leopard cannot be anything but a leopard. Can God change his perfections? Well, of course not. God cannot be but God. God is the great I am. Uh, he tells us, I am that I am. And then James, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot be but just. Uh, Calvin said, it is impossible for God who is the judge of the world and by nature loves equity, yea, whose will is the law of justice and rectitude, should in the least degree swerve from righteousness. Number two, God's will is the supreme rule of justice. It is the standard of equity. His will is wise and good. God wills nothing but what is just, and therefore it is just because he wills it. And thinking on this one a little bit, uh, there is no standard outside of God where we go to determine what justice is 
or determine whether God's dealings are just or not. God is just. God does justly and righteously. God's will is disclosed to us in Holy Scripture, and that is the rule we must turn to again and again to ensure we are walking uprightly before God and executing justice and fair dealings with others. We see God's will expressed in the law. Romans 7 tells us the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, Number three, God does justice naturally. Justice flows from his nature. Men may act unjustly because they are bribed or forced to, but God will not be bribed because of his justice. He cannot be forced because of his power. He does justice out of love to justice. You love righteousness. Uh, George Winnock has said, The law or rule of God's justice is within him. Yes, it is himself. He is his own law, his own rule, and therefore it is impossible for him to recede or err from it. Like a carpenter who is his own straight-edge ruler and measuring line. Number four, justice is the perfection of the divine nature. He quotes Aristotle here, justice comprehends in it all virtues. To say God is just is to say he is all that is excellent. All perfections meet in him as lines in a center. He is not only just, but justice itself. Number five, God never did nor can do the least wrong to his creatures. God's justice has been wronged, but his justice never did any wrong. God may not act according to the rigor of the law. He abates something of his severity. He might inflict heavier penalties than he does. You have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. Our mercies are more than we deserve and our punishments less. Uh, Here's a from Thomas Botston on his work on the Shorter Catechism. However severely the Lord deals with us, he neither does nor can do us any wrong. And therefore, we should lay our hand on our mouth. And as we read in Lamentations 3, why does a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? And lastly here, uh, number six, God's justice is such that it is not fit for any man or angel to expostulate with him or demand a reason of his actions. God is not only authority on his side, but equity. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. It is below him to give an account to us of his proceedings. Which of these two should prevail, God's justice or man's reason? Uh, Romans tells us, Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? The plumb line of our reason is too short, to fathom the depth of God's justice. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. We are to adore God's justice where we cannot see the reason of it. And then I've got uh, a reference from Job 40 here. Uh, The interaction between Job and God. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. 
I have spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And again, Thomas Boston, uh, closing out this uh, number six here. If divine justice had descended from heaven in a visible form and hanged up millions of sinners in chains of wrath, it had not been such a demonstration of the wrath of God and his hatred of sin as the death and sufferings of his own son. All right, now we'll wrap it up with some practical considerations. Warning to the wicked and comfort for the wronged. Edward Lee here. The consideration of God's justice uh, should affright us from hypocritics, sinning in secret, keeping bosom sins. Uh, it ministers comfort to the godly who are wronged by the wicked, especially in this life. Uh, and they don't see justice, um, but we do have hope. Uh, in the future and the day of judgment. They shall have an upright and just judge who will uphold them in a good cause. It may serve to exhort us to glorify God's justice both in fulfilling of his promises and punishing wicked men. And a couple considerations. God will deal with sin, so saint, do not avenge yourselves. Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And in a sermon by Spurgeon on this uh, particular verse, uh, he said, is, is it the new man in us which suggests revenge, or is it the flesh, the mere animal in us, which strikes out to avenge itself? A moment's reflection will let you see that the returning of evil for evil is natural to the animal nature, but that it is not and never can be natural to the new created spirit whose nature is like the God from which it came, namely love and gentleness and kindness. Good for evil is godlike, good for good is manlike, evil for good is devil-like, evil for evil. What is that? Spurgeon quotes it to prove his point. It is beast-like. It is like the beast which kicks because it is kicked, gores because it is gored, and bites because it is bitten. God will deal with sin ultimately in a way that we, we cannot fully fathom in this life. Uh, leave vengeance to the Lord. God will deal with sin, so sinner be warned, hell awaits the wicked. In Luke, we read, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In Boston, divine justice may be as a lion asleep for a time, but at last this lion will awake and roar upon the sinner. And lastly, Justice delayed is not justice denied. Three verses from Revelation. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation 11 the nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, 
and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And last, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And then we'll close with a section from the Family Worship Bible Guide. Uh, family's been reading through Second Kings, and this seemed <coughs> appropriate here. Uh, ju- justice delayed is not justice denied. Perhaps as many as 20 years passed between the treachery of Ahab and Jezebel against Naboth and the ex- execution of the judgment that Elijah had pronounced against them at that time. But God's justice is certain and his timing is perfect. As Jehu is set apart to be the agent of God's wrath, ruthlessly and relentlessly he executes the judgments of the Lord, precisely as Elijah had declared. From a purely human perspective, his actions seem to be harsh and without mercy, but to every detail the punishment fit the crime. So also the final judgment will come upon the world according to God's will, and in his timing. That judgment will be terrifying, and yet heaven will ring in songs of praise because God is just and righteous in his judgments. In view of that far greater judgment in which sinners will get what they deserve, there is a great urgency to be reconciled to God by the blood of Christ, the only way to escape judgment. Jezebel tried to escape Jehu by exhibiting her self-perceived beauty, It is the beauty of Christ's righteousness that will rescue his people. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful that you are just and righteous. All your ways are perfect. Uh, We do seek to worship, honor, and glorify you this day. We ask for your blessing on the worship service hour coming up. Grant Nathan, um, your spirit in preaching, and we do, again, seek to worship and glorify you. Please bless our efforts, and we praise you and praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.